0: with me to the book of Habakkuk today, the book of Habakkuk, or if you're just like a Hebrew scholar, Habakkuk, however you might want to to say it, but me being the country boy that I am, it's Habakkuk, and uh, that is where we're going to be today in the word together. So welcome to week eight of a series that has us walking through the minor prophets, which is the representative name for the last 12 books of the Old Testament, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And in general, what we know is that a prophet in the Old Testament was a person that was called to speak um, to the people on behalf of God. So they were called to be God's direct messengers to a people, whoever those people were were and now before you start thinking in your mind what a great job that would be to be a, a prophet to give those messages to to people just remember that the prophets message most of them went something like this you guys are terrible you're sinning and you need to repent so that was basically the message that most of the prophets delivered so these guys were not the most popular guys on the block in fact they were hated um, with a um, just a deep kind of Hatred, and they were despised by their own people simply because they spoke God's word to them. So their, their mission was a common mission, and oftentimes their message was a common message. Uh, many themes or common themes are found in the Um, And the Minor Prophets, and those themes are the sovereignty of God, the judgment of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God that calls a people to repentance or calls a people back to Him. And that call to repentance is the reason we are calling this series, Come Back to Me. So come back to me. Ultimately, like we say, try to say every week, God was not trying to get His people back as far as to punish them just for the sake of getting them back. He was trying to um, call them back. Call them back to himself. And I think this is a message that some in the room today or will be here need to hear even today. And this morning we come to the book of Habakkuk. He has been called the Doubting Thomas of the Old Testament. He's been called the man with a question mark for a brain. Um, His name could either mean to embrace or to wrestle. Or depending on how deep south you go, wrestle. Maybe uh, is how you would say it. And uh, what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see Habakkuk wrestling with God and then through that wrestling we're going to see him embrace God um, by faith. So the book of Habakkuk is unusual um, in that it's not a sermon written to a nation but instead it is um, a conversation between Habakkuk and God um, that God would later call Habakkuk to write down and thus we have um, this book. So the book of Habakkuk It pictures a frustrated prophet, similar to the book of Jonah, except instead of running from God, Habakkuk stays right where he is, and he channels his frustration into praying and praising God. Habakkuk is a man who deeply loved God, yet the things that he saw didn't line up with the God that he believed in. Just think about this. He was a man who deeply loved God, yet what he saw didn't line up with the God that he believed in. If you've ever had a time in your relationship with the Lord that you walked away with more questions than answers, then this is a book for you. This is a, a good book for you. So here's a little background. The year was 605 BC or thereabouts. After good King Josiah and Judah died in 609 BC, the nation of Judah plunged Um, headlong back into corruption, back into immorality, back into idolatry that had plagued them so many generations before. This time, Judah seemed hell-bent on their own destruction. They weren't just walking up to the edge of the cliff trying to see how close they would get. They were running as fast as they could right off of the cliff. It was a nation who had a death wish and who had no longer a desire for God. In the midst of this nation's rebellion, there was a man, a prophet, who longed for God to intervene. Who longed for God to receive the glory again in and through this nation. And in many ways, this is a very modern book. And that it raises questions that we still wrestle with today. And you're going you're gonna to see some of those and hear some of those heavy and very difficult questions. And my prayer today, as we leave and walk out these doors, is that we would walk out not embracing our questions and not embracing our doubts, but instead walk out embracing a God who is sovereign over all of it. And that is the prayer today. So let's dive in together. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read the first chapter of the book of Habakkuk and then kind of skip around a little bit. And remember, our series here is we're not trying to unpack every detail in every book, but just some of the main truths that that, uh, seem to... To come to the surface, so beginning at chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now here's God's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horse Horses are swifter than lepers, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And now Habakkuk 2 complained, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Who may. Who, You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. Who brings all of them up with a hook? He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. We're just looking and, and filling God, the deep questions that were on Habakkuk's heart, knowing that there are so many in this room, God, that are struggling even right now with questions that um, we can't seem to find answers to. Father, we pray today that you would just speak to us, God, um, in ways that will, Lord, not accentuate our doubts and unbelief, Lord, but lead us to embrace you, to trust you like never before, to follow the example of Habakkuk. In a way, Lord, that leads to your glory, your praise, your honor, and our joy in it. Lord, just speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So the situation that Habakkuk faced was the destruction of the people of Judah, God's people, by the Babylonians. So God was going to use the evil Babylonians not for the annihilation of his people, but for the correction of his people. So this invasion um, happened, or it eventually happened at the end of the 6th century, and then Jerusalem fell to King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Upon hearing the terrible news of what was going to come, Habakkuk was filled with doubts he was filled with questions and just think about this have any of you in here ever struggled like that you know i i I know um some of you right now and just hearing me talk about questioning god are going "Uh uh-uh i'm not going to admit that i'm not going to get struck down by god today in church not going to do it not today yet we're not talking about accusations of unbelief what we're talking about is honest questions that we can't seem to answer that we can't come to terms with. And here's a challenge for us this morning. Let me give you a good news challenge. Here's a pretty good news. Search the Bible and find one sincere seeker in the Bible that God ignored. Flip the pages. Read through the stories. Where in the Bible did God turn away a genuine heart? Where in history did God spurn and push away a searching and hurting soul? You know what? There's no place in this. Thomas came with doubts and Jesus did not send him away. Moses had his reservations and God did not dismiss him. Job had his struggles, yet God engaged him. Paul had hard times, yet he was not forsaken by God. And Habakkuk had his questions, tough and uncomfortable questions. Yet the beautiful truth is this, God never turns away the humble searching heart. God will never turn away the humble, searching heart. Tough questions don't stump God. God is not in heaven going, how am I going to answer that question? Never saw that one coming. Don't know how I'm going to engage that. No, God invites our probing. In fact, God will never stop calling us to himself. That's what God does, brothers and sisters. When we struggle in our doubts and our uncertainties and our questions, God doesn't say, stay there until you can figure it out. He says, come near to me, come near to me, draw in, draw in and know me. So as we approach him this morning through the word, I want us to see three monumental truths that become anchors for the the confused, for the questioning soul this morning. I believe that will will hit many of us right where we are. The first truth is this. We are prone to question the ways of God. We are prone to question the ways of God. Of God. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? One question. Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Second question. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Third question. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. So chapter 1 is this wrestling match between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk um, first wants to know why God is allowing sin to reign in Judah. Why, why is God's people being allowed to do the things they're doing? And in verse 2, we see the word cry mentioned twice. The first time, the word cry means to call for help. But the second time, the word cry means to scream with a disturbed heart. So first of all, I'm crying for help, but now I'm just disturbed. One theologian summarizes the many questions of Habakkuk's life like this. Beginning with his own situation, he found himself articulating timeless questions about the problem of evil about the character of god about the apparent pointlessness of prayer and the weakness of god about the oppressiveness of unrestrained violence and the silence of god so timeless questions indeed and just think about the questions that were probably stirring in habakkuk's heart in this moment Judah, the people of God, were running from God faster than they had ever run from Him before. And it seemed as if God was doing nothing. That's what verses two through four are about. It seemed like God was doing absolutely nothing. So the questions that were coming in Habakkuk's mind is God, do you care? God, why are you silent? Why aren't you doing what you could do, God? Why do you allow idolatry? Why do you allow false prophets? Why can you not maintain the purity of your people? In other words, Habakkuk was saying this. God, if I were in your shoes, I would do it a lot differently than you're doing it. Now, of course, we've never thought that before. None of us have ever thought that. Of course, we've never said it, but I guarantee you we thought it. God, this doesn't seem like what something you should do in this moment. And then God answers. So God answers. And unfortunately, things don't get better. They get worse. For God now tells Habakkuk, beginning at verse 5, that he was going to indeed punish his people, but he was now going to use a more wicked nation, the Babylonians, in order to do it. So now the question changes, and Habakkuk is now saying, God... How is that fair? So he goes from God, do something. God says, done. And now Habakkuk's going, that just doesn't seem fair. How can God use something so evil? How can God punish his own and allow a more rebellious people just to to be let off the hook? Look at verse 13 again. Just listen. Just think about the heart of Habakkuk here. You, God, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He's saying here, how could a holy God use such unholy instruments as the Babylonians? How could a holy God use unholy instruments? I don't know about you, but here's what I know. I don't know how either, but I know this. God does this all the time God uses unholy instruments all the time in fact let me say this every time God uses me he uses an unholy instrument in fact let me go a step further if all God was allowed to use was holy instruments God wouldn't have a good selection if all God was allowed to use was holy instruments um God might be in trouble but the truth is, God is able to use even that which is unholy for His glory, for His name's sake. And now think about this, just think about this in, in terms of, of our lives. What do we do when what we see with our eyes is so much different than what we believe in our hearts? So what do we do when what we're seeing just doesn't line up with what we believe? What do we do when God doesn't act in a way that we believe is in line with who he is? Let me just say this again. God is not afraid of our questions. In fact, there are times when honest questions lead to experiences of deeper faith. So there are times when our questions lead to deeper faith. For ultimately, we either bring our questions to God with open hands or we bring our questions to God with clenched fist. It was C.S. Lewis who said um, that we are quick to put God on trial. In so doing, we become the accuser and we treat God as the one who is guilty of wrongdoing. So that, that's not how we approach him. Instead, we come to him with empty hands raised to heavens, not with clenched fists aimed at him going, God, why are you doing this? You answer to me right now. That is not what we do. But we come with honest questions. Just think about this. One third of the Psalms, one third of the Psalms are people crying out to God with heartfelt questions. Read the book of Job and you hear a uh, a patriarch who is crying out to God. Lamentations, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, crying out to God. Hear them cry out to God and say, God, we don't understand why things are the way they are. I was expecting one outcome. Instead, God, you have done this. I just don't get it. And here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, don't miss this. God did not reply to Habakkuk or to Job or to David or Jeremiah, how dare you question me? We don't read that. We don't read God saying, how dare you come to me and question me. No, this is where we see that doubt can become one of uh, God's most common tools in order to drive us into deeper faith. Think of it like this. I'm going to expound on this in just a second. But doubt is like a foot that's firmly planted on the ground. There's firmness there. But you can't advance if that foot remains on the ground. I'm going to hit that in just a second. But here's what I know. There are those here this morning, in this room, who are walking through things that you can't quite get your head around. You aren't quite sure what to believe. You know what you're supposed to believe, but your circumstances don't seem to match those truths right now. There are some of us this morning that are right in the middle of chapter 1 in the book of Habakkuk. We're right in the middle of chapter 1 where nothing makes sense. Where you have questions, even maybe God answered, and guess what? Things didn't get better, they actually got worse. And let me tell you what happens most of the time in the middle of chapter 1. People walk away from the faith. Chapter 1, when you're in the middle of chapter 1, is where so many people walk away. Things don't feel good the way they expect them to feel good, so they walk away. They move on from the Lord. This week I read a a story of Alan Gardner. Most of you probably have never heard of him. In fact, before I read it, I'd never heard of him. But he was an English missionary who was shipwrecked on a remote island off the coast of South America. His team waited and waited for someone to come and to rescue them. But no one came and finally the whole team died of starvation. Several months later, when the rescuers finally found them, they found the body of Gardner with his personal journal underneath his body. The last thing that he inscribed in his journal was Psalm 3410, those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. And underneath that was the the final phrase, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Think about the questions that had to be going through Alan Gardner's mind. Lord, I'm doing what you called me to do. God, I'm doing exactly what you call me to do. And here I am now on an island. Nobody else is here. There's nobody for me to reach here. God, what are you doing? Yet as he wrestled with this, here was his conclusion. God, you're good. You're good. Your goodness, Lord, is overwhelming, overwhelmed by a sense of your goodness. How could he talk about the goodness of God like that? Let's be honest. If most of us were on that island, we would probably have questions. And the question we'd probably have written on our journal would be, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That would probably be our thought in that time. God, why have you forsaken me? But God is not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of them. Oh, that we would come to understand His goodness. Let me just go philosophical for just a minute. Just think about this. Is it possible? Is it possible for a good God to allow something painful in our lives when He could stop it? Is it possible for a good God to allow pain to enter our lives when He could stop it? I recently read the following scenario. So imagine a commando in World War II who is dropped behind enemy lines, posing as a German officer so that he can get into the concentration camp and destroy all of the gas chambers. Now imagine that as he mingles with the other officers, he sees one soldier preparing to execute one prisoner. This is an evil that he could stop simply by shooting that soldier, but at what cost? He might save one person, but yet his mission would be over. His mission wasn't to save one person. His mission was to save many. More lives would be lost in the long run if he outed himself now. So, is it possible for a good person to allow something that's evil even though they can stop it? And this is where we say, yes. Yes, he might allow a lesser evil in order to prevent a greater evil. Think about it in terms of parents. I want you to think back... Think about parents who have to watch our children endure the suffering of immunization shots. Some of us parents have actually had to hold our kids down while those things have happened and have seen our kids look at us with eyes like, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you helping me? I'll never forget being in a dentist's office and them working on Morgan, and I have to hold her down, and they're giving her shots in her mouth, and she's looking at me like, why are you joining them in this evil And I felt terrible. In fact, I finally said, you have one more chance. And if you don't get it this time, we're out of here. I'm not doing this again. But think about this. The reason that we allow it is because something good is coming out of it. There's something good. There's something that's being prevented because... It's possible for a good person to allow pain to happen if you know something better is coming and here's the beautiful thing. We're not just talking about us here. We're talking about a God who himself defines what is good. We're talking about a God that according to Romans 28 is working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That is good news for us, even if that doesn't make all of our questions go away immediately. Again, let me say this. Doubt is a foot firmly planted on the ground. Faith is when we pick that foot up and move forward. Pick that foot foot up and move forward in relationship with god who is altogether good we are prone to question the ways of god secondly we are compelled to place our faith in god we are compelled to place our faith in god now we move to chapter two so how do we reconcile the god of the bible with the reality of our world when the unrighteous flourish when the righteous suffer when god doesn't do what we think he should do or when god doesn't do what we know he could do what do we do what do we do when all of those questions are just invading our minds and let me tell you this what we better do is make sure that we are planted on solid ground and not on a slippery slope we better make sure our feet are on solid ground and not on a slippery slope in fact look at verses one through three of chapter two Habakkuk places himself on solid ground. Look, look, look with me. Verse 1, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits his appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So what are we supposed to do? What is the solid ground based on the word of God here? First of all, we listen. We stop and we listen. That's what Habakkuk did. All of these questions were surrounding him. And he said, I'm going to place myself, I'm going to plant myself on this watch post, and I'm going to listen for God. Sometimes we do that, we need to be still, we need to open the Bible, we need to place ourselves, get ourselves in a place where we can hear God, where we listen to Him. Then the second thing he did was he wrote it down. Verse 2, God says, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets. We write down, write down what God, has, what God says to us, write down what God has done for us. Now, why do we do that? I think we do it for the same reason that we should make a list before we go to the store. I've had a situation where Misty sent me to the store to get three things. Three things. I come back with two things. She goes, where are the eggs? Eggs. Man, I knew I was missing something. I mean, we've all done that. We go to the store and we have maybe one thing, maybe five things. We get home, we're like, ugh, all because we didn't write it down. When we write things down, brothers and sisters, when we write down what God tells us or when we write down what God has done for us, those things become anchors for us that will remind us who he is, remind us that he is speaking, remind us that he is working in a way that makes us continue on. So we, we listen, we write down what he says, and then get this one, we wait. We wait. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits to the point of time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie, it seems, if it seems slow, wait for it. Now here's the problem. Most of us, when we hear the word wait, what we envision ourselves doing is we're at a bus stop. We sit on our butts and we do nothing until it gets here. That is not the biblical picture of waiting. Let me ask you this. Let's do it in a different way. What does a waiter do? When we go to a restaurant, what does a waiter do? They serve. They serve. So the picture is what do we do as we're waiting for the Lord? We serve him. We serve Him. And if we're struggling with the will of God, let me give you a little um, clear picture of how we find God's will. Open God's word, serve the Lord, do what God is telling you to do in His word, and His will will find you. His will will find you. Do what God tells you in His word, and His will will find you without a doubt. So we're we're waiting on the Lord, and we do all of this um. And as we do all this, we're doing it by faith. We're doing it in a faithful way and having faith in a faithful God. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm not going to take this and go to the book of Romans and unpack Paul's theological picture of what that is. That wasn't quite yet unveiled here. But let me just say this, if we are going to walk with him in this difficult and challenging world, it will be by faith. If we're going to walk with the Lord, if we're going to please the Lord, it is going to be by faith. Then look at verse 14 of chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, the great power, the evil, wicked Babylonians will come to an end. If you read verses 6-20, through you will see God declares five woes against the Babylonians, meaning that the Babylonians would go the way of all the other evil nations. The nations weary themselves attempting to fill the earth with their own fame, with their own glory, but God says this, no, 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 Babylonians, Assyrians, Romans... Maybe even Americans, this world will not be filled with your glory. It will be filled with mine. It will be filled with my glory as the waters cover the sea. It will happen. So Habakkuk need not fear a rebellious nation. And need not fear that they will have the last word. The earth will be the Lord's and he will fill the earth with his glory. And then this chapter closes with this amazing um, picture and these awesome words. Look at verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. The last thing that God does here is give Habakkuk this vision of him sitting high upon the throne. And God is saying to Habakkuk, if I am still on my throne, then you can trust me with every question you have. If I am still on my throne, then you can trust what I am doing. Don't let your foot stay planted in doubt. Pick it up that you might walk by faith because faith still pleases me. Oh, that we would understand and be compelled to place our faith in Him. And then lastly, the last truth is this, we must continually choose the praise of God. We continually choose the praise of God. So now we come to... Habakkuk 3. In Habakkuk 3, it begins with a prayer that Habakkuk is praying. And he's reminding God of all the things that God has done. He's remembering all the ways that God um, had acted on behalf of Israel. acted on behalf of his people. How God had delivered them. And set them apart from all the nations. And continually delivered them in amazing ways. And his heart was filled with amazing remembrances of all that God has done. And then look at verse 16. I hear... And my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means God had not changed his mind, there was still bad news for God's people. Judah was still going to be punished. But ultimately, it was going to end in the judgment of the Babylonians. So that was going to happen. God had not changed his mind. Sometimes we think that just because God answers, it means God's going to change his mind. This is where we remember, brothers and sisters, that prayer is not about us changing God's mind. Prayer is about us having our minds changed. So prayer is not about our will being done up there. Prayer is about God's will being done down here in our lives right where we are. Yet, here's the beautiful picture. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Gloom and doom is not how this chapter ends. Here's how it ends. Look at verse 17. Just think about Habakkuk saying, I know what's coming, God, because you told me what's coming. And then here's what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fell and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall. So basically Habakkuk says everything is taken away from us. Though we lose everything, look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This little book opens in gloom and it closes in glory. It begins in question marks and it ends with an exclamation point. We do not know how the story ended for Habakkuk, but we do know what Habakkuk planned to do as the story continued. He was going to put his faith in the Lord. He was going to rejoice and trust God's salvation and be strengthened. His hope was going to be in the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because Habakkuk knew a secret, a secret that I want to share with you, that you already know, but it's just a secret nonetheless. It's called the power of hope. And it's the most powerful force on this planet. There's a legendary experiment done by John Hopkins University in which a researcher, for some crazy reason, decided that he was going to determine how long a rat could swim. And here's what he determined. If you threw the rats in the water, they could only last 10 minutes before they would stop swimming. But if you took them out of the water two or three times during the first 10 minutes, they could then swim for more than 60 hours. 10 minutes, 60 hours. What was the difference? The difference is because they were taken out, they had a little hope that they would be taken out again. They would be taken out again. They would be taken out again. They would be delivered yet again and again and again. And Here's the truth today. I'm I'm not comparing us to rats by any means whatsoever. But I do pray that today we would leave here with a hope that enables us to keep going. That enables us to keep going. That will lead us to declare our plan before we even know what the ask is. Before we even know what God is asking of us that we would declare the plan. And our plan is this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In fact, let, me, let me just put this before us today. What if we got to a place where we say, I don't know what's coming, God. I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I, in fact, we heard a message today on questions, and a lot of my questions are still there. But God, help me in this moment to put down my plan. To lay my plan down and my plan is that I'm going to rejoice in you and I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. In fact, what I want you to do is I'm going to say this and recite this. I want you to repeat after me. But before I do it, let me just tell you, if I say this and you go, I'm going to lose my ever-loving mind. So don't allow me to lose my ever-loving mind. Because there's a declaration that's happening here. If you you want to stay right where you are in the midst of your doubt and lead to unbelief, then you do that. But I'm giving you a way out today. And that is this. Here's our plan. Here's our hope. Here is what we're saying. By God's grace, this is what we will do. And join me and just repeat after me. Yet I, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy, will take joy. In, the in the God of my salvation. Here's what I know. You can't have the chapter three type of faith until you go through the chapter one kind of questions. Until you deal with the, the chapter two kind of kind of answers. And you begin to anchor yourself and wait upon the Lord. Again, let me say this. There's some of us this morning that are you're right in the middle of chapter one. You're right in the middle of questions that aren't being answered. Things just do not make sense. And you're being tempted right now by the evil one to quit. To give up, to throw in the towel. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you today, God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. Put yourself in a place where you can hear Him. And then declare your plan before you even know what's going to happen um, in the future. You're going to rejoice in the Lord. You're going to take joy in the God who is your salvation. This is one of those messages, brothers and sisters, I don't know how to end this. I have no idea, how to, but let me just end it this way. I'm going to show you a quote. And this is a powerful, powerful picture. i never forget this quote. and just just continually comes back to me. London Christian says this, distinguish between the facts of God's presence and the emotion of the fact. It is a happy thing when the soul seems desolate and deserted if our faith can still say, I see thee not, I feel thee not, but thou art certainly and graciously here. Say it again, thou art here. Though the bush does not burn with fire, it does burn. I will take the shoes off of my feet, for the place on which I stand is holy ground. Don't wait for the emotion, brothers and sisters, for you to decide. Everything's right in my life. Everything is lining up. Therefore, God is worthy. No, declare right now, though everything might stink, God is still worthy. And you will still rejoice in the God of your salvation. Take those question marks today and put an exclamation point that God, you are worthy of my trust. You are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my life. You are worthy of my all. And you will be worthy forever and ever and ever. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God, or take joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand in this moment. I'm going to ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward, please, as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say that whatever it is that God is telling us, that we we would do it. So let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in you. We don't want to take lightly the fact that there are some today, God, who are struggling deeply with questions, struggling deeply with doubts and fears, Lord, we we want to be honest that we have those. Lord, we don't want our doubts to become unbelief. When we walk away from you, Lord, we want to do as even as the as John the Baptist did. He had doubts, and yet he sent his followers. When he was in prison, he sent his followers to Jesus, saying, "Are you the one? I just need to know that you're the one. I just need to know that you're the one, and to make it worth it, or make this suffering worth it." God, just help us, Lord, to bring our doubts, our questions, Lord, to you. You're not scared of them. You're not afraid of them. You're not going to look at us and say, how dare you? God, help us, Lord, to be able to come to you, even in our brokenness and with our question marks, knowing that you care for us. But help us, God, by faith also, Lord, to take those question marks and replace them with exclamation points. That though everything around us go bad, yet we will rejoice in you. We will take joy in you. We will hope and trust in you. We will wait upon you. Father, just finish this time today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.